This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Three Lions Podcast, and my name is Russell Osborne. And you've joined us at the last of our England at the European Championship series. Now, the plan was to release these in the run-up to this year's summer's pan-European tournament, an idea Michel Platini had to celebrate the tournament's 60th anniversary. Now, as we all know, Euro 2020 has been postponed due to the coronavirus pandemic and has now been scheduled for 2021. How this will actually look No one really knows at the moment, but providing it's a safe environment for all, I'm sure it's going to be a celebration of life and football. I'd already started with the series before UEFA had made the decision to postpone this year's event, but I decided to continue the series where we've been looking back with the memories of fellow England fans. Now we started at 1980 and here we are eight tournaments later and we've made it to France 2016. Now, they've not particularly been about analysing the performances on the pitch, more remembering what it was like to travel over land and sea following the three Lions at a major tournament. It has been a real success. The feedback has been amazing and no doubt in the run-up to the next World Cup, providing England make it, I may do a similar feature. So thank you very much for all your feedback. So, as before, we'll be chatting with another fan who was in France later in the episode. But before then, we'll take a look at how England got there. And as with many previous qualifying campaigns, we qualified as group winners. Group E, ahead of Switzerland, Slovenia, Estonia, Lithuania and San Marino. It was one where we won 10 out of 10, scoring 31 and only conceding three, of which one was a Jordan Henderson own goal for Slovenia. Now, France were the hosts, winning the bid-in ahead of Turkey and Italy. And the French last hosted the tournament when they won it in 1984. And this was the first time the tournament featured 24 teams, having been 16 since 1996. So it broke down to six four-team groups and a total of 51 matches. Now, pre-tournament, there was concern about the River Seine in Paris and heavy flooding, also strikes by the local transport sector, and of course, the Paris attacks in the November of 2015 played heavily on people's minds. Because of the increase of teams, there would be a ranking of third-place teams who would progress. So the top four third-place teams joined the 12 first- and second-place nations to make up the round of 16. Once again, there would be no Scotland. In fact, they were actually the only British team not to qualify. There was no Holland or Denmark either. Now, England built up to the tournament by taking some warm-up games around the country, playing Turkey at Manchester City's Etihad and Australia at Sunderland Stadium of Light, before playing a Cristiano Ronaldo-less Portugal at Wembley. Three wins out of three meant confidence was positive. Now, Roy Hodgson would be the first England manager to take charge of the team at two European Championships. 
Drafted in six weeks before 2012 began, he'd had time to make more concrete plans this time around. Only Joe Hart, Gary Cahill, James Milner and Wayne Rooney remained from that Poland and Ukraine squad. Here it is in full. Goalkeepers, Joe Hart, Fraser Forster, Tom Heaton. Defenders, Gary Cahill, Chris Smalling, John Stones, Carl Walker, Ryan Bertrand, Danny Rose and Nathaniel Klein. Midfielders, Deli Alley, Ross Barkley, Eric Dyer, Jordan Henderson, Adam Lalana, James Milner, Raheem Sterling and Jack Wilshire. And Roy Strikers were Wayne Rooney, Harry Kane, Jamie Vardy, Daniel Sturridge and Marcus Rashford. Andrus Townsend and Danny Drinkwater both missed out despite having decent seasons. Now being a tournament so close to home and like many others, I personally decided to go back and forth to each game. We were drawn alongside Russia, Wales and Slovakia in Group B. And I flew down to Marseille for Russia, Eurostar for Wales and an overnight coach for Slovakia and then a plane to Nimes and onward train for Iceland in Nice. Really was trains, planes and automobiles for me. My return flight coming back from Nice, however, was cancelled, which meant a long TGV back to Paris and the Eurostar back again. Part of me very much relieved that it was all over when I walked back through my front door. But it did mean I got to see many of the games on English TV, with both the BBC and ITV giving it the French flavour. Right, enough about me. Let's speak to an England fan who experienced it from a slightly different angle. Now, for the final time, we are looking at England at the European Championships. I'm afraid we've got to do it. We've got to go to 2016. We've got to go to France. And as before, we can speak with an England fan who was there. I'd like to welcome to the Three Lions podcast, Hugo Malim. Hello, Hugo. Hey, Russell. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Let's just start. We are speaking to you. You're now in Australia rather than France, where you were in 2016. Yeah, that's correct. I'm in, I'm in Sydney. To be, to be precise, I'm in Maroubra, which is in the western suburbs, for those who know Sydney, so not too far from the beach. Very nice yeah. surroundings, to be honest. <laughs> Very nice. Slightly different from, from Paris and France? Oh, yeah. Completely different, yeah. And this is for work, is it? Yeah, work. Oh, yeah, yeah, work. Same for France, work. Do you get to see England games, I guess, just on the telly then? Oh yeah, so it's uh, it's uh, it's uh, so some games that have to basically uh, turn off uh, the internet, the the four G, 
uh, and they watch it at night. Um, you know what I mean? Because the games are like two or three in the morning. And in some games, I can actually watch them. Can be at like eleven o'clock at night. It's it's very strange hours, Russell. I'm not going to lie to you. Some games you can wake up at like six in the morning and watch them. But yeah, all in all, it's 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 very very difficult to watch a game live. I think the last game I've seen live in a pub was England Bulgaria, the qualifier at Wembley, and that was a bit of a struggle. Yeah, it was at two in the morning, I think. Yeah, so that's the last time. So I'm back in Europe for the Euros. I'm really looking forward to actually watching football live England matches well I admire your dedication to uh, to staying up that late for for some games although it, it can be said we've we've done well and it's been worth staying up for oh yeah especially when we're going to mention the uh, Euro 2016 <laughs> <laughs> well yes let's let's go back to it Euro 2016 it was held in France and just to say you you were living there at the time what was yeah. the the build-up to it in France. So what was interesting to, to note is when France got the tournament awarded, the cities themselves, if you look at it, are sort of similar to cities that were picked for 1998, apart for a few of them. All they did is that they either built a new stadium or decided to refurbish some of the stadiums. So that's that's sort of, you know, the same sort of um, cities, uh, bigger and nicer stadiums. The only thing that was a bit strange is that they didn't pick any cities in the west of France, which is a very nice region. So no Nantes, no Rennes, which are no, quite often in Europe, and they're quite passionate about their football. And something that happened that was really odd, Russell, was that at the time, Platini was head of you know, the European body for football. And they sort of tried to convince him to give it to France because they were going to post games in Nancy, which is the east of France. And east of France, either Strasbourg or Nancy, never get any tournaments every time there's a World Cup or anything. So Nancy got awarded, awarded sorry, games and then the mayor of Nancy, I think two years before the tournament, so 2014, 2013, pulled out, just said no, no games, it's too expensive for the city. Us, football club, AS Nancy is not doing well, it's not worth it. So a bit last minute, they had to find another city, end up being Saint-Étienne, which we'll probably mention later on, and they refurbished um, Geoffroy Guichard, which is a stadium there, and that's why you had two cities very close, which is Lyon and Saint-Étienne, being awarded games. So that was a bit uh, strange. And the second thing that's worth mentioning, unfortunately, is 2015, two terrorist attack, one in January, where terrorist attack, a newspaper, Charlie Hebdo, killing, I think, 12 people. So, yeah, that was pretty bad. And then what I think hit the country the most, Russell, if I'm really honest with you, is that when this sort of attack happened, same in, in the UK with the Manchester attack, for example, takes a little while for a country to recover. So it took, I would say, three months for the country to really recover. But then there was the November attack, what is known as the Bataclan attack, which killed, I think, 140 people, especially young people. I mean, I'll, I'll give you my example. I mean, I go to concerts a lot. I went to the Bataclan three days before the attack. And yeah, I think that affected a lot of people, me, myself. I know someone who was at the Bataclan that day, and yeah, it was a bit too much, I think, for for uh, the country. So again, the build up to it was really non-existent after after that after the November attacks. That's that's my memories of it. Yeah, sorry, it's a bit grim, but it's the truth. It wasn't. There was not much build up to to the tournament because of those attacks. And then on top of it, there was floods. Uh, I think a month before. And then I remember because I was an England member at the time. The unions announced strikes just. I think on the week of the, or the weekend of the tournament. And I remember trying to assist some England fans with updates because they were all in French 
on how bad the strikes were because they were pretty bad. I remember loads of trains and flights being cancelled. So yeah, I'm sorry to say for anyone French listening to this podcast, but the build-up was grim. Yeah, there's no, no other words than that. <laughs> well, it sets the scene for the tournament. Um, and, and I guess in a twisted way, once the football comes around, that those sort of things are are forgotten for for 90 minutes it's it's maybe a nice distraction to have the uh have the football on and something that people can can unite together especially the french people um and get passionate about the team i completely agree and and something we'll probably touch upon later on but i think that's one mistake the french authorities did after what happened in marseille is to put all these measures around england fans so you know closing bars from 9 p.m to 8 a.m all this no no drinking outside of bars, etc. Because it set a strange tone every time we were traveling somewhere. This sort of, you know, bonker mentality, you know, when French people, actually those I spoke to, especially bar owners, restaurant owners, even fans, they were saying, we have enough of, you know, living in a country where there's the police around, the army, I don't know if you remember, the army was around. Uh, we just want to forget about this for at least a month or something. So can we just stop that? And so, yeah, we can talk about it later on, but you know what I mean? There were, Football, these tournaments do help sometimes when there's some really tragic event that happens. So I agree with you, yeah. Well, let's start, um, well, I'm unfortunately in, in Marseille for that mm, first yeah. game against Russia. I'd never been to the, the Stade Velodrome before and I went into it and I thought, wow, this, this is a real intimidating, it was just a, a really good stadium. It felt big, it felt wide open but at the same time felt quite close with the roof on top of it as well i agree with you i mean i had never been to marseille i always only saw um you know footage on tv of the old one the old ground then they rebuild it i was very impressed no question and what impressed me even more than that is i only been to marseille once for work so i just spend a day you know coming in coming out but speaking to to the locals the french Marseille, you could see they're really passionate about football. They're really passionate about their team. They know what they're talking about. Yeah, I would not like to go to Marseille as an away fan. It must be really scary in there because it's, it's, as you said, very close, very huge. And the noise seems to stay in sound, inside the ground. It was, it was very impressive. I really enjoyed, actually, oddly enough, uh, I really enjoyed it up to the incident that happened after to the end of the match. But I thought we, we put a good show as England fans in terms of atmosphere during the match. And I thought England played well, actually, against Russia. Yeah, I think a, a one-all draw was, was unfortunate to come away. Um, Eric Dyer had put us in the lead uh, with his free kick, mm-hmm. wasn't it? Which, which was a good yeah. free kick. And there, you mentioned about the England fans. There was at one point, and I can't think for the life of me what song or what theme it was, but, but something was played or sung that really got all the England fans going together in unison. And, and it's, it's almost like a hairs on the back of your neck moment for me. I remember looking around thinking, wow, this is, this is just really good. This is feeling part of the, the England supporters set up here. I don't know if you remember that, that song or, or all the England fans just, just were together and, and jumping around, just, just felt a really good England togetherness. To be honest with you, I just remember the whole atmosphere of the match, not only one song. And I just remember being in an amazing atmosphere, especially when you consider what happened in the afternoon, uh, even the day before. Because I arrived on the Friday, which was the beginning of the tournament, actually. France were playing Romania in Saint-Denis in Stade de France. 
and we should have won that game. We wasted too many chances, many mistakes done by the, the staff during that game, especially the one mistake of, you know, defend at one ill up when you we could have scored the second one, I'm, I'm pretty sure. And yeah, Russia equalised at the last minute, if I remember correctly. And that was that. Yeah. We, I don't think we ever recovered from it, in my opinion, even though we beat Wells. Well, you mentioned, unfortunately, what happened pre the game. I I somehow managed to miss all of that. I was I was sort of not held hostage by my Airbnb host, but they they, <laughs> they just really wanted to talk and talk, and I just wanted to go and soak up the uh, soak up the pre match atmosphere. And and they were fine, absolutely fine. But I was like, I just want to get going. But I felt it a bit rude to to leave them. But you unfortunately were caught up in what happened around the port area yeah uh, my hotel was in the port so <laughs> that didn't help you, you understand why that's why i got caught up uh, yeah. but i think what, what, you know funny anecdote i was in volgograd in in 2018 you know for england tunisia mm. and after the match we're in this bar and i was the only one in my group who actually had been in in, in marseille and so these russians came up to me and said were you in marseille i said yeah yeah, yeah. and the, the first thing they asked me was that is that true what happened there? I said, what do you mean? I said, no, because we saw on TV and we don't think that's true. So I think it's, it's important to, <laughs> to actually, like, I don't know, just set the, set the record a little bit because I think a lot of people see things on YouTube and, and, I don't know, make up things about what happened, which I think we have to be honest here. A lot of England supporters, what you call on the podcast the EasyJet Brigade, mm. were there in force. And the behaviour, I'm sorry to say, especially on the Friday, was just unacceptable. I mean, you've mentioned it in Spain, for example, or in some of the Germany games. It was just abhorrent. I mean, I'm sorry, it was just really bad. And I think that set the tone for some people to try and attack us, if that makes sense. Some, some of the locals in Marseille, you know, Marseille has a reputation for, for crime a little bit, and they have their own hooligans, ultras. So that set the tone. And of course, the Russians, some of them came to fight, but they were also, they saw what happened. And Again, some of these EasyJet Brigade did harass some innocent Russian fans that were just there, you know, just to come and talk to us and be nice. We can't deny that. And that's what I saw is mostly drunken people being really rude. And also, and that needs to be said, the authorities in Marseille were not good enough because when we went to Lille, they were much better. In Nice, I know they were better. In Paris, they were excellent. The authorities in Marseille were too soft. They were, all they did was just throw tear gas at everyone. And that's not the way you control the crowd you know if people are misbehaving you just warn them and if they misbehave again you arrest them and that's not what happened in marseille they were just standing there doing nothing and that's how it all kicked off you know it's just letting people get drunk misbehaving and then all of a sudden the russians arrived that's what happened on the saturday afternoon and they attacked everybody and anybody and no one intervened especially not the police wow and it, it almost set the tone for for two years later, as you say, in, in Russia, in the World Cup, everyone was was very apprehensive about what may happen, um, which which fortunately didn't materialise. Yeah, luckily. I mean, because I don't know if you remember that, but after, when Russia equalised and the game was over, there was a, where we were sitting, the England fans, we were all together. But the Russian, because Russia didn't send so many supporters at us, the opposite end was like a bit like at Fulham. It was like a neutral end. It was like half Russian, half English. But some of these Russian started attacking these England fans and these England fans ran away. But I don't know if you remember that some of these England fans were stuck at the end of, at the, end of, the, of the stand, technically. 
and there was like an emergency exit, and these fans started jumping there. I don't know if you saw that. It was yes. quite impressive. And that was really scary. And that, yeah, that was horrible. And this, yeah, it's just that, 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 that stayed with me for a long time, seeing these fans jumping. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was quite, again, same word, pretty grim. And then walking, I don't know about you, but I had to walk all the way back from the stadium to my hotel because there was no trains. I don't know what happened. There was no metro. So I had to walk. Yeah, that's, um, that's when, um, unfortunately, on the way back, I tried to get some food. And that's when someone thought it would be a good idea to punch me in the ribs for no reason whatsoever. Oh, dear. Not nice memories to come away from. No. And, yeah. And you know, the, the sad thing about it, Russell, is that this sort of football violence thing around England followed us around. You know, it, it happened again in Lille. There's some video when you see these England fans attack, fighting with Slovakian fans. Then in Lance, there was reports of trains being trashed and people misbehaving. Then it happened again in Lyon. There was a, it's on YouTube. There's a massive uh, fight, sorry, between England fans and Lyon supporters. And then again in Paris, in between matches, there was constant reports of it. And it's a shame because, as you probably remember, the Irish were behaving really well. There's loads of videos of them being, you know, fun and nice. Same with the Welsh. And I met a lot of fans from Austria, actually, and they loved it. They loved being there and having a good time. So it's a real shame that these idiots just spoiled it for the rest of us. Because as you mentioned, like you mentioned Kosovo recently, you mentioned Russia. We all had a good time there. So, yeah, it's a real shame. Yes, I'm not sure what, what can be done about it. It's just a, uh, it's something that the authorities feel they have to deal with in in their own way. Yeah, I think, look, it was it was... It was why is that video, uh, but the video that the BFA released, what was it, a year ago? You know, that video of this guy <laughs> jumping around in a pub in somewhere in London and saying, you wouldn't behave like this at home. Mm. I thought it was a good video. It wasn't the best of the best. You know, they had their budget. Uh, but I thought, yeah, they, they, they made a good point there. You wouldn't behave like that in your local city centre. So why do you in France or, I don't know, in, in Russia or in Spain? Yeah, I, I think that was that. Don't don't be that idiot. Was there? Yeah, was campaign that's, the one. that's the one. Well, let let's move on to the to the next game, which was in Lons. I mean, we we couldn't get a further distance away from where we first started in Marseille. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I guess from from an English point of view, there it wasn't too far to travel. And I, I remember doing this one on the on the Eurostar. I'd done this whole tournament, train, plane, and automobile. This one, but yeah, it was a game that. Every England fan, I guess, was pretty much looking forward to. We'd been drawn against Wales. Yeah, I mean, I remember, out of curiosity, I went on Booking.com, I think a month before the game, and <laughs> it said it was 99% booked, not just in Lille and Lens, but around these two cities. So all the cities, all the way up to Calais, was fully booked. I know someone who stayed in Amiens, which is between Paris and Lance. It was that bad in terms of trying to get a hotel or a flat or whatever, you know, camping, whatever you were trying to look. It was, it was, yeah, it was, there was people, England fans or Welsh fans all around Lille because I was, I was based in Lille. It, it was pretty intense. The, the thing was, I don't know if you remember, the weather was pretty strange. It was either raining or really warm. It was in yes. between. That's what I remember. And I also remember something that was pretty funny is because of what happened in Marseille. There was all sort of crazy rumours that there'll be no alcohol served, which in fact wasn't really true. All it was, it was that they didn't want people to get drunk too early. That was what the authorities were worried about. So 
with my friends, we set on a mission to book a table at a restaurant so we ah. could be sure we served alcohol. <laughs> so we found this restaurant. I booked in French. So, and because I'm called Hugo, you know, a lot of people think I'm, 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 I'm French, you know. So, they, so we booked a restaurant, this really nice table in that restaurant. And guess what? We arrived and the restaurant was just packed with England fans getting absolutely, you know, wasted. <laughs> so the whole ruse didn't work at all. You know, we just walked in and like they, they looked at us like, oh my God, these, this is our reservation for four at 12. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that was pretty funny. And then, of course, the game was one of my, in my top five for sure with England. It was just, the performance was terrible. Both teams, you have to say, because how Wells lost that game, I don't know. Uh, Joe Hart had a had a really poor performance. I mean, his whole tournament was pretty bad. But yeah, just those two goals in the last, I don't know, two, three minutes, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, yeah, just the atmosphere in that, in that stand there in, in, in Bollard's, the stadium was just, oh, I'll never forget that. And then the partying afterwards, both in Lance and then in Lille, we had a little karaoke, which is a bit strange, but anyway... You can't buy that, really. That's why you support England, don't you? And you follow them, you follow them sorry, home and away. It's just for, for those moments, really. Because the performance, I don't know what we can say about it. It was just so disjointed from both teams. The only good thing was to see Gareth Bale on the you know, the big screen. Because he, he said some quite nasty things in the papers, if I remember correctly, about England. Uh, so it was just a nice thing to see him looking a bit gutted and miserable at the end of the match. Yeah, he'd done. He's he'd done well to sort of build it up and and hype it up a bit. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Sorry. To his credit, it it was a a good free kick that he he put in. Uh, I mean, I think Joe Hart maybe should have saved it, but he, he he can put in a free kick. Yeah, and listen, look, fair play to them. They they won the next game. They recovered and they did much better than us in the tournament. So I'm having a go at at Bale, but look, they had a much better tournament there. So it's, it's, you know, it's one of those. Yeah. I, I, I missed out on that uh, karaoke that you, you talk about. I ended up, I think I ended up in a, in a friend to hotel room and, and I kind of sweet talked with the manager. I said, can I just kip on his floor? Um, and she was fine with it. Um, as long as I bought, obviously bought a, a fair amount of beer in, in her hotel for that one. So I missed out on karaoke, but I, I got a free room for the night. Nice. Yeah, what people probably don't know is about Lance because I'm sure people, you know, saw the draw and saw Lance and saw why Lance? Why is this small little town in north of France? Is that people are really passionate about football in Lance? Um, they stadium is nearly sold out every single game. They're really passionate about football, so they were so happy to have us, especially England and Wales. And every bar we went to after the match, they were generally like happy to host such a big game, even though the stadium is small and the city's way too small to host such a game and and you mentioned the the ground there it, it was quite a small one but it it was very english and it had its its four sides that felt very english yeah it has a i don't know why it has this lance has this feel uh, about it a very sort of englishy city and the stadium as well i don't know why i, I didn't to be honest i didn't look into it it's it's always has this reputation in france to be very English, if that makes sense. British, you could compare it to an English northern town, really. But mm. I don't know why. Well, next up was St Etienne, and it was one that got sort of England fans dreaming of, of 18 years previous and Michael Owen racing through to score against Argentina. But this time it was Slovakia who are our opposition in our, in our final group game, 20th of June. 
for this one. I, I kind of look forward to this one because literally because of that Michael Owen moment and being in that that same stadium and trying to imagine where and what it felt like at the time. I didn't go to to any of the games in France 98, but yes, yeah, so I got into that ground and, and stood behind the goal that Michael Owen scored in. Um, kind of felt not, not spine tingling, but it was like, wow, this this was where it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know what? Uh, what's interesting is that they refurbished the stadium and it still looks the same. <laughs> you know, sometimes <laughs> when they refurbish the stadium, it doesn't look the same at all. And people like Wembley, you know, Wembley is not the same at all. And people go, oh, I prefer the old one. This one, I don't know, the, the Saint-Étienne supporters might not agree. I just feel it's exactly the same, just bigger. Bigger and a bit, you know, the, and a bit more, less, less, I don't know, less rough. Because the, the old one, if you look on, on YouTube on in the 90s, it looked a bit rough. Now this one looks a bit more modern. Uh, so some people don't like it. Uh, I think it's better, actually. So it looks a bit, bit nicer. But it's, it's sort of the same ground, just nicer. Unfortunately, though, the, the result wasn't... I mean, the game, from what I remember, was, was nothing to really write home about. Highly unexciting. It was nil-nil uh, in the end. We, we really could have done with a result because I think people were looking pre-tournament obviously as we do I'll I'll route through the tournament and thinking right we we get through this we'll go to Paris Um, and and I think people were thinking we'll go to Paris we'll play Northern Ireland yeah so I mean a lot of fans for those who were not involved in that tournament a lot of England fans were based in Paris that's a fact because it was either too complicated to go back to UK and then fly back again to to games or it was much more easier to go to Paris. Also, Paris has so many hotels and, and flats that are rented that it's quite cheap, actually. The city, Paris, is not cheap. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is cheaper to find a place to stay in Paris and then take the train to go to one of those cities. So I agree with you. It would have been nicer to go to Paris and then play Northern Ireland, especially at Parc des Princes, which is Piège's ground, which is much nicer than Stade de France. I, I used to live... 10 minutes walk from Parc des Princes and the neighbourhood around Parc des Princes is really, really nice. So, yeah, it was, would have loved the result. But I think there's a very good interview on, on YouTube of Gary Neville. He's on Sky and he talks about that game and also Iceland. And I think what they tried to do, and it completely backfired, is they wanted to keep the momentum of the Wales game. But they also had to acknowledge that the tournament is what it is and it's a bit long. So they wanted to rest some players. But because the way the team, the team was built, you know, the whole squad, they couldn't do that. They couldn't rest 11 players like Southgate did in Russia. So they did something a bit strange where they rested some players, but not all. And it completely backfired because also Slovakia, unlike Wales and Russia, were going to defend. They were defending. They were not doing anything else but just defending. And that was not the plan with England. England were sort of counter-attacking, if that makes sense. They were just not a team that was built to attack and play against a team that was defending for 90 minutes. So that's why we had a really dire game where nothing happened. And also there is the mystery of Rashford not playing at all in that game um, when he would have been needed for sure, especially in the second half where you could see we were not going to score. Yeah, someone like Rashford's pace um, would have been would have been ideal and probably scared the uh, the Slovakian backline had he have come on. Yeah, an- another mystery, as you say. And again, another thing that has been mentioned so many times. It's not just that tournament has been mentioned before, and I hope 
Southgate is not going to repeat that mistake is why on earth Wilshire was, was called into the squad when we know he wasn't fit. We had the same problem in 2006 when we called up Michael Owen and Rooney. I know Rooney was difficult not to call him up because he was our superstar at the time, but Michael Owen, we, know, we knew at the time he wasn't fit uh, and playing friendlies was not going to be enough. So, yeah, I, I don't understand what happened there. He, he wasn't going to change the game, especially the same thing, second half, you could see that Slovakia were not going to commit. So, yeah, it's one of those games. Uh, I don't know. Just I, I'm lost for words. Um, it's going to be even worse for when we're going to mention Iceland. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know if you if you've got anything else to say because there's not much to say really. <laughs> no, you're right. I mean, it, if if someone was to say to me Slovakia, England, what are your memories? I mean, unfortunately, I I wouldn't have very many to reminisce, especially about the game. It was it was more about I don't know just being in that venue. Uh, maybe having I mean, a uh, a kickabout in one of the squares pre-game and and just to wander around St Etienne, but yeah, there's nothing really to remember about that one. So I, I think we can confine that one to uh, to wherever we can in our memories, um, and, yeah, and unfortunately, the, move on. Yeah, I mean the two things I do remember is like the chant. There was a song I can't remember which England song it was that lasted for like 15-20 minutes and everyone on Twitter and Facebook I even got text messages on WhatsApp people seem to be very impressed about that but I can't remember which song it was it wasn't was Don't that, Take Me Home Was it The Escape to Victory? Yes, yes that's the one correct that's the one that lasted and everyone seemed very impressed and the same thing I do remember because it was a night time game a lot of people seem to have struggled to get back to Lyon because Saint-Étienne is, again, same thing as Lens. It's a much smaller city. A lot of England fans were based in Lyon. And I remember there was no trains going back from uh, Saint-Étienne to Lyon uh, when Lens, there was loads of trains because it was an afternoon game. So I've got a vague memory of people having to find buses and, and you know coaches. And I don't know, I have a vague memory that it was a bit of a struggle for people to get back right well, I mean moving on I mean I had struggles in in Nice where my my flight coming home was cancelled following day um from Nice it was just seemed to be <laughs> just one disaster to another um that particular game but I mean just just transport in general from what you've said in in France just wasn't wasn't particularly good for whatever reason but yeah England against Iceland Iceland were well. Well, they they were the unexpected nation and team, weren't they? Yeah, I think I think let's face it. When we so when we realised we were second in the group, we have to go to Nice and then potentially play France at Stade de France. We'd go, ah, oh, Iceland. That we should beat them comfortably. And then France, it's going to be tricky, but maybe because people have to remember that year Leicester won the league. So you know we thought ah oh, maybe we could we could actually win this tournament with a bit of luck. And then, yeah, well, first thing that, I don't know why, there's something about this game. When I woke up in the morning, I thought, ah, I don't feel this game. And maybe one of the reasons is probably a very overweight Tyson Fury the night before bought, I think, 100 Jaeger bombs to fans. I don't know why. That that just, I didn't like, I just thought, hmm, this is weird. Why is Tyson Fury in Nice? Why is he not training? And why is he looking so overweight and buying shots to people? I don't know why. <laughs> I had a bad feeling about this. Yeah. I don't know. Just that said, to me, that set the tone for that for the game and the disaster that unfolded. 
it all started to go well, though, didn't it? We four minutes in, Wayne Rooney scored from the penalty spot. Yeah, yeah. I think. Listen again. I, I really recommend people to watch the interview of Gary Neville uh, and, and, and all the pundits around him ask demanding him to to explain what happened. And what's really strange is that he's got no explanations. I think we underestimated Iceland a lot, and the players. There were some players on the field that were just not performing well. Yeah, apart from Rooney and maybe Dyer, the rest were not good enough, and especially our goalkeeper, Joe Hart. Uh, because they say it started well, but after that, we just didn't follow whatever plan was set by by Roy. Just kind of lost lost his touch, really, to Roy Hodgson. I mean, we we always do well in, in the build-up to tournaments. We can qualify. Well, in, in this case, it was with a 100% record, and we'd had no problems going into the tournament, but just in an actual tournament, well, it was knockout football there. Just didn't didn't grasp it, did he? Yeah, I, I'm going to do a quick comparison, if you don't mind, with boxing. I don't know if you heard about him. There's a young boxer at the moment called Daniel Dubois. He's quite, he's really good. Uh, but he was fighting two fights ago for the Commonwealth title against a guy from Ghana. I forgot his name. But the guy from Ghana had a really good record. I think it was 11-0. and 0, So all wins, 11. Looking good. The guy looked good. Impressive. So he was the Commonwealth champion. Fight night, the guy gets in the rig with Daniel Dubois. And you could see straight away his body language. He was terrified. And he got knocked out, I think, first round, first minute. And I generally think that's what happened with Roy Hodgson. The moment the tournament started, he just didn't seem to, to know what he was doing anymore. Which was very strange because, as you said, during the, the qualifiers, everything went well. I think during the friendlies, he tried different things. That's what you should do. Try different things to see what was the best team. But then once the tournament started, as I said, especially after Russia, he completely pressed the panic button and tried different formations, different players. When you shouldn't be doing that, you should stick to a team and off you go. Uh, and that's not what happened. And the worst bit, of course, is at halftime against Iceland, we remove Eric Dyer for Jack Wilshire, which doesn't have any impact whatsoever. Even worse, at the figure was a 72nd minute, 75th minute, we have a free kick. And who's going to take the free kick? Harry Kane, because Eric Dyer is not on the pitch anymore. And if you remember correctly, Harry Kane misses the, the free kick horrendously. And then there is this infamous incident between Gary Neville and um, Roy Hodgson where they are they're arguing about um, Rashford and Rashford comes on, but he comes on so late in the game that he has very little impact. He has impact, but you can see it's way too late. And that's pretty much a summary of what happened during that tournament. And it was pretty sad. And what's even more sad is not in Nice, luckily, but in Paris, in the fan fest, England fans fighting among themselves at the end of the match. <laughs> That's really a summary of uh, of that yeah. tournament, really. Well, I mean, as as the Icelandic fans were were clapping away at the end of the game, Roy Hodgson was was putting his resignation in, wasn't he? Yeah, there's a very good video of England fans clapping the Icelandic fans when the players, you know, the players go to their fans and they do the mm. infamous Icelandic clap. That is a good video, actually. You see all the England fans clapping the the counterparts. I thought that was good. Because you could get really upset and you know angry and and rightly so, but I thought that was a that was a nice gesture. Yeah, I mean it's it's sort of 
contrasting emotions, as you say, the England fans in Paris when there's uh, trouble between themselves and, and England fans applauding the, the away support or the opposition supporters. Um, it's, it's two two conflicting moments. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But that, 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 again, we go back to the EasyJet Brigade and what happened in Kosovo. I was really sad not to be able to travel all the way from Australia to Kosovo, but it shows you the difference between those who really commit to follow England and those who just go there to get drunk and misbehave. Yeah. That's the truth. Well, the the, the tournament continued after we'd departed, yep. and and France, as as we mentioned at the very beginning, had had its unpleasant parts in the lead up to it, but they made it to the final, which which must have been good for for the nation. Yeah, it, it really you could feel that the the, um, the party atmosphere, if you like, really started after the after France beat Ireland. France were playing well. I thought they were playing really well. And had we played France after Iceland, we would have lost easily four nil, five nil. I'm not joking. I'm sorry. I'm an England fan. I'm passionate, but there's no way we'd have won against France. And it's a shame they lost to Portugal. No offense to Portugal. They. They find a way. They start really poorly. There's actually, again, a funny video of Ronaldo throwing a mic of, of a mm. reporter in, in a lake. That's really funny because they were really poor. But, you know, they pulled, the self, they pulled themselves up and they won. I just felt sorry for France because they, they deserved it. Not just because they were the, home, they, the hosts, uh, but because they, they, they were playing better. And that's a fact. I'd say Portugal went on to win it and, and they go into this year's tournament as as holders and will be looking to defend that trophy. But from an England perspective, can we get at them? Can we match Portugal's talent? Can we get to that final? There's no reason why not. The, the only thing, Russell, is who is fit in time. I think he can, but can Southgate find the right team and stick to it? What I'm trying to say is, we need a back four now that, that works for us. And we also need to find, you know, the two midfielders that protect that back four. So, you know, we're going to have Henderson that's going to start, that's for sure. But who with him? So is it going to be Eric Dyer? Is it going to be Dick and Rice? You know, he needs to find the starting eleven that suits him and then stick with it. Uh, because I just sometimes feel that he's, like we saw in Prague, he tried to experiment a little bit and that backfired terribly. So as long as we find the team that suits us and a certain style football that suits these players there's no reason why we can't go semi-final the final and then yeah then it's luck and we need a bit of luck and we haven't had that in a long long time no and and you say that you're coming over for it is making the journey from australia yeah well i need to go and in april it'll be one year so i need to go back to europe to see my my family my friends and i use it as an excuse well, I wish you a safe travel. And if, if we happen to, uh, to be in the same place, um, then, then let's meet up and say hello. Definitely, definitely. Let's have a drink, yeah. Hugo Malin, thank you very much for sharing your, your memories of, of Euro 2016. Not, not the most successful tournament from England's <laughs> point of view, but, but let's be honest, we haven't had many European championships that have yeah. been successful. <laughs> Yeah, true. Thanks, Russell. Do, do you mind, Russell, just very quickly, uh, I just wanted just to say a quick hi to, to all the England fans that I met, because I was a member for six years. Not long, but still. So just a, a quick shout out to all those, those I've met. You know, they'll recognise themselves. Everyone looked after me. So I just wanted to say a quick shout out. And obviously, uh, I'm a bit of a snowflake, so I'm going to do a quick shout out to my girlfriend, because as I said, she's an American in Paris. And so... Yeah, it's a bit difficult sometimes, so just just a quick shout-out if you don't mind. Absolutely fine. 
And there we have it. Thank you very much to Hugo for his memories. Sadly, another European Championships that England couldn't go the distance in. Obviously, we were all hoping this year would be our year. Perhaps next year we'll put to bed 55 years of hurt. We'll just have to wait and see. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you've enjoyed the series. I've certainly enjoyed speaking with fellow fans. And all the previous episodes are still available for you to enjoy at 3lionspodcast.com or your usual podcast provider. So once again, thanks to Les Gasson, Billy Grant, Jason Broom, Dean Cornish, Ian Dunk, Mike Curtis, Glyn Davis and Hugo Malim. I owe you all a beer. Cheers. Cheers.